What is something that means a lot to you? Is it your car? Your job? Your pool? Your house? Your yard? I'd probably pick my yard. Uh, I'm out there all the time making sure there's no weeds in there and uh, making sure the grass is green, which is kind of hard in the middle of July. (laughs) But my yard means a lot to me. Uh, What is it? And how do you show that what you picked is worth a lot to you? Because generally when something means a lot to us, uh, we show that it's worth a lot to us, right? I once asked the guy this question we were talking, and I said, what is something that you own that means a lot to you? And without even thinking, without even considering, he immediately responded, my boat. He's got a big sailboat. And I said, okay, well, how do you show that it's worth a lot to you? And again, he didn't have to think. He just rattles all these off. Well, I use it. I clean the outside. I clean the inside. If something breaks, I go out and fix it immediately. I bring other people onto the boat to go out and make use of the boat. I I show it off at boat. And he just kept going on and on and on. One thing that he didn't say that he could have said was that he's constantly thinking about that boat. And that had to be true because he didn't have to think about any of that. It just rattled right off the tip of his brain. When something means a lot to us, when it's worth a lot to us, uh, we show it. We invest our time into it. We invest our energy uh, because it means a lot to us. And that's what makes the question I'm about to ask you so hard, right? And the question is, how do we show that God means a lot to us? How do we show just what God is worth to us? Because God's not here, physically. We can't hug God. We can't lead God around and show Him off to other people because He's not physically present. So how do we show that God means a lot to us? Because He does, doesn't He? Because if He wasn't, a lot worth a lot to us, we wouldn't be here this morning. But he does mean a lot to us. And so how do we show what he's worth to us? And a follow-up question to that is, what does this have to do with our core value that we're looking at today that says we want everyone to take ownership? Well, we turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning to get some answers. Romans was a letter written by the Apostle Paul around 60 AD to the Christians living in Rome. And he he wrote a very doctrinal book, and so it's very heavy on the Christian teaching. And he spends 11 chapters getting really deep theologically, and then we turn to chapter 12 where he says, so now what? What does this look like in your life? We pick up in Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's your first point this morning if if you're in your worship folder. Worship begins by owning who we are. Worship begins by owning who we are. Paul starts this section, the practical section, with therefore. And I had a professor once tell me that whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, you should always ask, what is it there for? Why is this therefore there? 
Well, Paul says, therefore what? In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Why? Paul just spent 11 chapters delving into who we are and getting very deep in who we are. And who are we? Well, he says things like, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He says, the wages of sin is death. And all of us have fallen short of God's expectation. Therefore, what do we all deserve? Death. Paul spends many chapters talking about the fact that we are sinners. We have disobeyed God in our thoughts, in our words, and our actions. Not only have we missed the mark on our attempt to live perfectly, but sometimes we willfully disobey God. That's called transgressions. We go across God's will. We know where that line in the sand is, and we, God says, don't cross this, and we say, oh yeah? That's transgressions. Willful disobedience. Paul says, who are we? By nature, we're sinners. And what are the wages? What have we earned because of it? Death. I loved working an hourly job. Uh, Back when I was in high school, I worked for a park district, and I go in, punch my time, my timesheet in, and then uh, every minute that I was on the job was more money in my pocket. And so by the end of the month, when I turn in my time card, I have all of this time that I have earned wages for. Paul says that's just like our spiritual life. When we punch in in the morning, the time starts ticking, and every time we sin... It goes on our time card. And when we turn it in at the end of the day, God says, look at all the sins that you have committed. Here's your wages. Here's what you've earned because of it. Death. But here's the thing. It's not the more, the worse it is. It's even if there's one blemish on that time card. We deserve death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin, one sin, death. This is who we are. But but in those 11 chapters, Paul also gets into what God has done for us. He says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, we are sinners. What do we deserve? Death. But God doesn't give us that. That's mercy. When someone doesn't give you what you deserve, that's mercy. You get pulled over by a cop and you deserve a ticket because you were speeding and he gives you a warning, that's mercy. And that's what God gives us. He gives us His mercy as He sent Jesus who said, give me that time card filled with your sin. I will take that for my own and I'm going to go and take the punishment you deserve. And He died on the cross to forgive you all your sins. Now Paul says, who are you? You're not a sinner. You're not a failure. You're not imperfect. You are a child of God forgiven, loved, blood-bought by Jesus Himself. You are in God's family. 
Not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. That's grace. Paul now gets to chapter 12 and he says, in view of God's mercy, the fact that He hasn't given you what you deserve, but He gives you what you don't deserve, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, own who you are. Own the fact that you are God's child and proudly live like it. And he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your true and proper worship. That's not exactly how we would consider worship, right? How do we use worship? We normally say worship is what we're doing right now, right? We get together with other believers. uh, We sing praises to Jesus. We pray. We hear God's Word. We would say this is worship. But Paul says our true and proper worship is by offering our bodies as living sacrifices. So what does this look like? I think this picture uh, kind of helps out. When everyone else is going one way, like all these blue people, we go God's way. We don't conform to the pattern of this world, but we live for God. And so when culture says it's okay to think, act, and feel one way, we say, well, what's God's will and what does God say about this? And if God's will is contrary to the way society says, we have to go God's will. Are you starting to see why Paul says this is a living sacrifice? Because what do we have to sacrifice? Our popularity. We have to sacrifice our reputation. We have to sacrifice fitting in with other people. We have to sacrifice our wants, our desires. And we bring all that and we lay it on the altar of God and say, God, I'm sacrificing all this to live for you because I am your child. That's who I am because of your mercy. And now you're starting to see why this is hard. But what's the motivation in all of this? God's mercy, right? The fact that He's made me His child. The fact that He sent Jesus to live and die for me. The fact that He's washed my sins away. Oh, I don't deserve to be God's child, but He calls me His child and He says I'm His child. Of course I want to live like His child. Of course I want to make Him proud. And I want to live to please Him. And so we've got to examine ourselves, right? Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. And yet, how are we doing? Is there a difference in the way you treat your spouse and in the way the world treats their spouse? Is there a difference in the way that you parent from the way that the world parents? Is there a difference in the way you treat your body and the way the world treats their bodies? Is there a difference in the way that you talk and the language that you use and then the language that the world uses? Is there a difference in your priorities and the priorities of the world? Is there a difference in the way that you use your time, your money, uh, your resources, and the way the world does? Is there a difference in the way that you talk about the other side, uh, uh, the other aisle of the politics, and the way the world talks about the other side in politics? 
Do you come to church on Sunday morning and say we're here to worship, but then the rest of the six days of the week you live like the rest of the world? Do you sacrifice friendship with God for friendship with the world? We all have a problem with conforming to the world. We all have a problem conforming with society around us. And when we do that, we say, God, you aren't worth that much to me. What you've done for me on the cross doesn't really mean all that much to me. I'd rather fit in with society. And so how do we change? Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can't just say, I'm going to wake up today and I'm not going to live like the rest of the world. Because guess what? We still have a sinful nature inside of us, a, a nature that wants to go with the world. And so it starts with renewing the mind, which leads down to the heart and out through our actions. How do we do that? We've got to get in God's Word. We've got to get in God's Word where we hear about the love that Jesus has for us, the love that sent Him to the cross to pay for all of our sins. We've we got to hear how uh, we deserve death, but God had mercy on us, and now He's opened up the riches of heaven for us. We've got to hear that we are children of God, not because of our own worth, but because of Jesus and this gift that God has given us. We need that to come to our minds, which then will travel down to our heart and then transform our actions. And then we will say, Lord, here I am. I am your child. This is who I am, and I want to live for you. I'm owning who I am, and I want to show you your worth to me. And I'm sacrificing my body, my thoughts, my actions, my feelings for you. Because you have made me your child. If you want to show how much God's worth to you, it's living a life for God. It's living a life for Jesus. It's not conforming to the pattern of this world. And then, once we get control of that, once, once we know that we can worship God that way, it leads to other actions in our lives as well. Paul continues. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You, this may be ringing a bell to you, and that's because we talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 a few weeks ago, and Paul used the same exact analogy of the body. Uh, Paul loves this analogy. He, he talks about it in Romans here, he talks about it in 1 Corinthians, and he talks about it in Ephesians. All different letters to different uh, cities, and yet he uses the same analogy. He says, we are one body. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, 
Do it cheerfully. Worship is owning and using our gifts within the body. Paul says, here's who we are. We are one body in Christ. We are all children of God brought into His family. And he says, we've all been given different gifts. And use those gifts. If you've been given the gift to prophesy, prophesy. If it's to serve, serve. And he lists them all on and on. And so what does this have to do with taking ownership? We can't get to this part, the part of of using our gifts within the body, in the church. We won't want to do that if we don't first understand verses 1 and 2. If I don't see myself as a child of God, if God's love is not amazing to me, the fact that I am His child and that I don't offer myself as a living sacrifice, I'm not going to want to use my gifts within the body. I'm not. And so I first need to wrap my head around who God has made me. I am His child. I need to realize that when I don't conform to the pattern of this world, but I live for Him, that's worshiping Him. And then, it's also worshiping Him to use my gifts within the body. This isn't done out of fear. It's not done out of force. It's done out of the motivation of the love of Jesus. The ultimate living sacrifice. The one who said, I'm going to show just how much God is worth to me by always following His will. And He showed how much you were worth to Him too in every moment of His life until it culminated at the cross. Where there He showed just how much you were worth to Him. That He was willing to give up Himself on the cross, shed His own blood, die for you, that you may have forgiveness of sins, that you may be brought into the body of Christ, that you may be called a child of God. That's how much you are worth to Jesus, that He would give Himself up for you. And this is what motivates us to then use our gifts. And isn't God so cool? Because God doesn't say, hey, you want to worship me? You want to show how much I'm worth to you? Here's how you have to worship. You have to be able to preach. You have to be able to pray amazingly. You have to be able to play an instrument. You have to be able to sing like angels. No, God doesn't say that. God says you can worship me by using the gifts I've given you. And so if it's serving, serve. If it's prophesying, prophesy. If it's building things, build it. If it's planning, Use your gifts of planning to plan. If it's uh, finances, use your gifts and finances to glorify God and worship Him. If it's cleaning, clean. Whatever your gifts may be, use your gifts to worship God. And again, the only way we're going to view this as worship is if we first see that I am a child of God because of God's mercy. And as I live for Him and offer my body to Him, It's worship. It's me showing God how much He's worth to me. One more thing on these gifts before we close. God has given us these gifts. He's given us these gifts to worship Him. And what He tells us is that we can use them to worship Him. And so everything changes as my perspective changes, right? 
No longer is it a have to. Now it's I get to because I get to worship God. No longer is it I have to clean the church. It's I get to use my gifts to worship God today by cleaning His house. No longer is it, man, I'm up on the refreshment team again. Unbelievable. I just did it two weeks ago. No, now it's I get to use my gifts to worship God this way and provide for uh, His body. No longer is it, oh man, and sending out another email about children's church. Uh, now it's, uh, you know what, I may not be the best at this, but God's given me gifts that I can use to worship Him and build up little children in Jesus. No longer is it, oh man, end of the month, finances need to come in. Now it's, I get to use my gifts to worship and glorify God. The perspective changes as we realize that I can use my gifts to show my God how much He's worth because He has made me His child. So what does this have to do with taking ownership in the church? When we, when we start saying, my church compared to pastor's church, all of a sudden it changes our perspective on the body, right? Now it's my church where I come to be encouraged by others to live as a living sacrifice for Jesus. Now it's, uh, this is my church where I go to encourage other people to live for Jesus. Now this is where my church where I get to use my gifts to worship Jesus. It's all about taking ownership allows us to worship our Lord in many different aspects, not just here on Sunday morning. And so may God be with us as we continually, every moment of our life, live for Jesus and worship Him. Not just on Sunday morning, but every aspect of our life. Because He's made us His child. He's forgiven us our sins. And it's in the view of God's mercy that all this takes place. The mercy that He hasn't given us what our sins deserve, but He's given us the exact opposite. His grace, His mercy, His love. So may God be with us this week as we continually live for Him and worship Him with our lives. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we praise and thank You that You have brought us into Your family. You've made us Your children through Your blood on the cross. Uh, We thank You for forgiving us of our sins and uh, now equipping us with gifts that You have given us. We thank You that we can use those gifts to serve and worship You. Help us to always remember who we are, that we may look for the what uh, to serve You. Be with us today and always as we worship You in our lives. Amen.